All right, today I want to start out sharing a story with you. It's a story, a true story of a six-year-old girl. Her name was Ruby Bridges. She lived in New Orleans uh, a few decades back. When she was six years old, a federal judge said that the schools in that city had to open their doors to African-American children. The day when little kids would be separated because of the color of their skin was over. It was no more. Almost all of the white parents in that day decided that if they were going to let black children into the school, that they'd keep their kids home and out of school. They also, several said, uh, made horrible comments and said if any black children actually would show up, that they'd be in for huge trouble. So the black children kind of stayed home too because they were afraid. All of them except for Ruby. Every day, six-year-old Ruby Bridges would kiss her mom goodbye, would march off to school. Only she had two federal marshals walking in front of her and two federal marshals walking behind her. She needed them because she had to walk through a heckling crowd into an empty school building. She was the only one that went to school. She had to walk through a crowd of people that would shake their fists at her, a little six-year-old girl. They'd yell at her. They'd call her names. They'd threaten her and her family if she kept coming back to school. But every morning at 10 minutes to 8, Ruby would walk past all those people with her head up, with her eyes straight ahead. She walked into an empty school building to learn. And then she'd walk home every day. Can you imagine? What's amazing about her is not just that she kept coming back, although that is fairly amazing as well. But what's really amazing about her is how she did it. One school teacher described it this way. She said, Uh, She said, I saw a woman spit at Ruby, but miss. And Ruby just sort of kindly smiled at her. I saw two men shake their fist at her, but again, Ruby just smiled. When she walked up the stairs, she'd stop before she went in the building. She'd turn back around and look at the crowd with just a, a pleasant look on her face. She told one of the marshals that before she goes to bed every night, she would get down on her knees and she would pray for the people in the crowd that were heckling her. Six year old girl. Can you believe that? She'd pray for the ones in the mob before she went to sleep every night. Six-year-old girl kneeling down beside her bed saying, God, help them. God, help me. God, bless those people who are mad at me. Help them, God. Draw them close to you. Help me to represent you well. And then the next morning, this little six-year-old girl would get up and walk through the crowd yet again. Well, I, I, I read stories like that, I think, What in the world makes a little six-year-old girl, what gives her that kind of courage? What gives her that kind of boldness to show up day after day after day in front of an angry and heckling mob, shouting comments, hateful comments at you, spitting at you, calling you names, threatening you? And if the marshals weren't there, they'd do a lot worse than threaten. What gives a little six-year-old girl boldness like that? Well, there's actually a Harvard uh, psychiatrist by the name of Robert Coles who asked the same questions, and he actually went down uh, down there and interviewed this girl, interviewed her family, kind of checked out the community to try and figure out what made her tick, to try and figure out what in the world could cause a little girl to have that kind of boldness and that kind of courage. He found that conventional psychiatric and psychological language just couldn't explain this girl and her courage. He wrote an interesting book called The Moral Life of Children, And in it, uh, this is what he says, the sort of non-believing Harvard psychiatrist says about the six-year-old girl, Ruby Bridges, about what made her the way she is. Listen to this. Here's a quote. He said, if I had to, if I had to offer an explanation, I think I would start out with the religious tradition of black people, which is of far greater significance than many white observers have tended to allow. 
He said, in home after home after home, I've seen Christians teaching, Christian teach, or Christ teaching, excuse me, Christ's life connected to the lives of black children by their parents. Such a religious tradition connects with a child's sense of what is important, as anyone knows who has been in a black church and seen a look of pain give way to a look of hope. And he goes on. But this Harvard psychiatrist, I thought this was a fascinating place for him to start. This Harvard psychiatrist com comes down to New Orleans. He looks at this girl and says, you know what? You know what it is I think that makes the difference? He says, I think it's Jesus. That's what he says. I, th I think Jesus is what brings about this kind of boldness into this little girl's heart and life. He's like, I don't think I have any, I don't, there, there's no explanation other than the fact that it's Jesus. And you know what? I'd have to say, I agree. I think it's true. I think nothing brings boldness of heart. Nothing gives, uh, sort of pushes away fear. Nothing emboldens us to live for and with Christ and to live for his kingdom like Jesus. It changes everything. He changes everything. We're on week number four of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Bold, and it's a series that's all about sort of living out our faith with boldness, with confidence in a fear-filled world. And today I just want to talk about a little bit about sharing our faith and living our faith boldly. Um, and I, I think I want to dig in even a little bit more and kind of talk about the journey that God takes us on to take us from sometimes fear-filled people, sometimes people that are running in the wrong direction, and how we could take somebody like that and turn them into a world changer, somebody that lives out their faith with unbelievable kinds of boldness, boldness like what we see in Ruby Bridges. You know, as we were trying to decide on a, a title for the series, I kept going back and forth between bold, which is what we ended up going with, and fearless, because both of those words are used over and over and over again in, in the pages of God's book, in the pages of scripture, and they're used to describe these new, the first believers in the early church. Fearless, bold, that kind of thing. So part of my uh, message prep, I looked up this week and I was studying all the different places in the Bible that talk about fear and that talk about fearlessness in particular. And there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of them, actually. There's hundreds of places throughout the pages of God's book that talk about fear. Um, it's one of the, the, um, the I'll, I'll call it commandment, but that God gives us again and again and again and is fear not. He keeps saying, for I'm with you, fear not. For I'm with you, fear not. You don't have to be afraid. It's, it's, a, it's a command that's sort of given over and over again. And there's lots, I mean, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of example, examples throughout the pages of God's book of men and women who live this fearless kind of faith. But there's only one person in, throughout the pages of God's book that's actually referred to as being fearless in the way they live. Anyone, anybody want to take a guess on who it was? Yeah, Jesus is a good guess. It's actually, that's not, the, that's not who it talks about, ironically. <laughs> it's Jesus that makes him fearless, but uh, it's, it's actually the Apostle Paul is the only one that fearless is ever ascribed to. Fascinating, uh, fascinating story. Saul, if you don't know, is... Uh, a guy uh, that we read about in the book of Acts primarily, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. Um, he was a guy that starts out running in the wrong direction. He starts out um, as a hater of Jesus, as a hater of Christians. He persecuted them. He 
you know, when possible, would, would be all for locking them up and throwing away the key or, or worse, that kind of thing. Uh, God, I mean, unbelievably transforms his life, and God uses him to basically change the world. To, to, uh, it would be difficult to overestimate his significance in the movement of the church, the, the movement of God worldwide. For instance, if, if we could put together some sort of spiritual family tree, right, tracing down uh, to you and to me, like how, who, who it was that shared Christ with who and whatever that inevitably led to us hearing from Christ, all of our family trees would likely come through the Apostle Paul, <laughs> I mean, it's that significant. If he wouldn't have done what his part in sharing the gospel so boldly and sharing about Jesus and the new life that is available only through Christ, if he wouldn't have done that to the extent that he did, the trickle down would have been catastrophic, right? I mean, it's amazing. God used him in unbelievable kinds of ways. And so I thought, you know what? Today, it might be good for us if we're talking about living boldly, if we're talking about living our lives fearlessly for Christ and with Christ, if we're talking about living out the mission even with boldness, there's no better person to, to learn from than the Apostle Paul. So I want us to look at his life a little bit today, a little bit more background. Saul was a highly educated guy. Um, he was a religious leader, super devout religiously, even before he uh, knew Christ. He was extremely moral, incredibly smart, and pretty darn fearless in the early part of his life, even though he was pursuing the wrong things and running in the wrong direction. We're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 9. We've got notes in the uh, Ignite Church app. If you want to follow along there, you can do so. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen as well. Acts chapter 9, we're going to just kind of take some snapshots of Paul, Saul, who becomes Paul. We're going to take some snapshots of his life. Starts here, Acts 9, verses 1 through 2. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, against those early Christians. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, who belonged to the Christian faith, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So how does he feel about Christians? He does not like them, right? He is fearless, but in the wrong direction, right? It's possible for us to be religious, for us to be church-going, fearless men and women, and yet be working against the cause of Christ. It's possible even in today's day and age, isn't it? Can you think of any examples of people that are religious, of people that are church-going, that uh, maybe do damage to the kingdom of God, that are maybe fearless, but they're running in the wrong direction? Can you think of examples, even nationally or internationally? Huh? ISIS? Is that true? Are they fearless? Yeah. Are they running in the wrong direction? Absolutely. Like, oh my goodness, who else? What are some more examples? How about this one? Westboro Baptist Church. Does that name ring a bell for anybody? Any think that's an example? Terrorism, all kinds of stuff, right? Let me get a little bit more personal. You think it's possible for us to be religious, church-going, God-believing kind of folks and yet do damage and be passionate but running in the wrong direction? Is that possible? Is it possible for us to see people that are hurting and broken and rather than responding with compassion and serving and loving and pointing them back to God's amazing forgiveness and love? Is it possible for us to instead look down our noses, kind of stick ourselves up here and be like, we're better than you? Is that possible? All of us have 
the capacity, right, the propensity to, to do damage. Think we're running in the right direction, but really be, wrong, be, be running in the wrong direction. All of us have the capacity for that, which is why bold faith, which is why fearless faith, the kind that gets illustrated in the, in the person of Saul who becomes Paul, and the kind that the Bible talks about, always begins with a transformation by Christ. I want you to watch this journey, this process of how God takes somebody like Saul, somebody that hates the church, somebody that really hates Jesus, and how he transforms his life and uses him to change the world because it's the same process that God is still using today. It's the same kind of thing that God, the same process that God uses today to turn ordinary people like you and me into passionate Christ followers that impact their world. The first step always begins with transformation, right? That's the first one that we're going to talk about. It's not just, uh, you know, it's not just us wanting to look good or be right or be more righteous than everybody else or start something cool or blast people for sport. If it's just us, it's probably zeal or fearlessness running in the wrong direction. Certainly that's the case for Saul. He's killing Christians. He's arresting them. He's delighted at their demise. He despised Jesus until Jesus actually shows up and busts into his life. Look at this. Uh, Acts 9, we'll go to verse 3. says this. As he saw near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I mean, this is where it all begins. This is where his story takes a turn, right? He's, he's running in the wrong direction. He thinks he's running in the right direction, but he's running in the wrong direction until Jesus shows up and busts into his life. And, and Jesus does this. He, he busts it. He turns everything right side up. He changes Paul's life. He changes his relationships. He changes his worldview, his values, his eternity. Everything changes in that moment. Can, can you imagine being Saul? You've been killing and persecuting, arresting Christians. You've been a Jesus hater. You've been adamant that he's a fluke. Can you imagine the moment that you fall down off your horse and you're blind and the voice of Jesus speaks to you? Can you imagine what that moment must have, would have been like? How do you think you'd feel in that moment? You're on the ground, right? There's a voice coming from heaven speaking to you. How do you think you'd feel in that moment? You think he's feeling all warm and fuzzy? <laughs> he's probably terrified, right? He's like, my entire life, I've been running in this direction, and I've been killing and persecuting, going after Christians, trying to destroy what I thought was wrong. And then I find out I've been trying to destroy what God was up to. I've been run, I've wasted my entire life running in the wrong direction. It would be terrifying, and yet Jesus appears to him, and as we'll see, and, and if you read more of the story, you realize, even though he was likely terrified, instead of God putting, dropping the hammer on him and blasting him and sending him to hell and telling him, wow, and shaking his finger and stuff at him, you, know, you want to know what he does? He forgives him. He draws him back to himself. He transforms his life. And as, as we'll see, he brings him to life in ways that he couldn't have even imagined before. He pours out his love on him, 
Transformation is where it all starts. Sometimes we can know about Jesus, but but not know him, right? Sometimes we can know God's word and we can know what the Bible says, but we don't know him in our lives until we have a moment and encounter with Jesus. It could be in a church service like this. It can be at home. It can be with the birth of your son or your daughter where you real, I mean, where, where the living God speaks to you and, there, and, and suddenly everything changes. I have to say that there are likely some of us here today that have been, uh, that are religious, that are um, good people. We've tried to live good moral lives and we think we've been heading in the right direction. Yet if, if the truth were told, we've never met Jesus. We've never had an encounter with him. We've never opened up our lives to him. We've never seen him or known him. And maybe today the living God is speaking to you. Maybe, maybe it's your day, like Saul, right, where he's speaking. He's knocking you off your horse. <laughs> and he's saying, would you turn your eyes to me? Would you open up your heart to me? Would you cry out to me and let me bring transformation? Let me bring you to life. Why don't you let me show you what life can be like with Jesus? Man, if you have never done that, today is your day. It doesn't take a big fancy religious prayer. It doesn't take anything. It takes just a snap, just a snap of the fingers of turning your heart and opening your life to, to Christ and saying, I need you. Would you come and sh show yourself to me? Would you come and wash away my sins? Would you come and make me clean? Best decision you will ever make. But man, if you and I want to, if you've never done that, do it. But if you and I want to want to see God use us, if we want to be impactful, we're saying, man, I want, to, I want to have a bold faith. This is where it all begins. This is where it all starts, right? It's that transformation, that encounter with Christ and responding to him and opening ourselves up to him and turning from the way we have been going, turning back to God and saying, man, I need you, God. Would you, I need you, Jesus. Would you come? And would you have your way? Would you come and lead me and guide me and forgive me and be my God? Next thing I want us to see in Saul's story is that uh, after, uh, after he has this transforming experience, after, after Saul meets Jesus and is transformed, the, the next thing that happens is there's this calling that God gives to him, and he's called. He recognizes that he is here for a purpose. It's no accident that he's here. God has specific plans that he has called him to. Now, this is crazy. I mean, he's, so he's, he falls off the horse. He's blinded, actually, for three days. He goes through his sort of own death and resurrection type experience. And on the third day, God sends someone to Saul, a guy by the name of Ananias, with a message for him. And in this message contains his calling. And so we're going to see this in Acts 9, verse 11, says this. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on, on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands uh, on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. In other words, he's bad news, right? And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on, on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, 
This man is my chosen instrument. Listen to this. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Now, this is pretty cool. This is on the third day. There's a lot of significance to three-day stories in the Bible, are there not? In two weeks, we're going to celebrate another three-day story. What's that story? Easter. Easter, right? Jesus died and was buried, and then there was the second day, and on the third day, something significant happened, didn't it? Okay, that was lame, right? Something significant happened, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he rose from the dead, right? The, the third day throughout the Bible is sort of God's day. It's the day when captives get set free. It's the day when dead people come back to life. It's a big deal. And so Saul has this own, his own sort of conversion, his own three-day journey, his own three-day experience. And on the third day, scales fall from Saul's eyes. And he is transformed. And then God speaks and gives him his specific mission. The other disciples have their own specific mission. God calls them to Jerusalem and to the Jews. Uh, their calling is to proclaim the good news about Jesus, that Jesus is alive, right? He, they're, they're called to, to go and take that good news about Jesus to the, to the Jews, first and foremost, in Jerusalem and, and throughout the area. Paul, however, gets the rest of the world, right? Which is sort of like, that's a pretty big calling. But, but he says, no, he says, Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive to all the Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? Us, right? Everybody that's not a Jew, the whole rest of the world, and to their kings, which he inevitably does. It's an incredible story. And the mission of proclaiming the name and the resurrection of Jesus to the Gentiles, that is Paul's calling. It's the driving force of Saul's life and Paul's life until he dies. He ferociously lives out that calling that God has given him. In fact, the next 19 chapters of the book of Acts are all primarily about God using Paul to live out this mission of taking the good news to the rest of the world. And you and I are here today because of his obedience to that call. You don't know how long it took him to start living out that calling that God had given him. I mean, certainly it should have taken years of preparation, right? He probably needed to go away and go to seminary for that kind of thing. He needed to have some more Bible studies. He needed to do a whole bunch of things, right? No, listen to this. Uh, Acts 9 verse 20 says this. It says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. How, how long do you think that is? At once. Does that sound like a long time? Years? Was there seminary involved? He said, at once, right? He, he started sharing about Christ. You think this was like a big burden, like a drudgery thing? Like, oh, I have to share about Jesus. Is that, is that kind of his approach? Man, are you kidding me? He was, he was running in the wrong direction, and God, in his goodness and in his love, reached down, scooped him up brought him back home into right relationship with God, brought him to life, forgave him for all of his junk and his, his running in the wrong direction, brought him to life, gave him purpose. And now he says, and now you get to, right? You get to share the only message that transforms eternities. You get to point other people who are struggling with their own sin and their own junk, their own hopelessness at times, and you get to point them back to the source of hope, to the source of life. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. He's given a mission. And can I just say, this is not just something for just super spiritual disciple and apostle type people. God has a unique calling for every one of us. He has a unique calling and mission for you. Did you know that? 
The God of the universe has plans that involve you. He wants to use you to bring his kingdom, to bring his message to the world, and you have a unique part of that. He has specifically placed you where he wants you to be. He's put you in, a, in the family you're meant to be in. He's put you in the neighborhood you're supposed to, supposed to be in. He's, he's uniquely placed you to share with those around you, to point other people to Jesus. He wants to use you to impact people's lives, to impact families, to impact eternities. You have great purpose. You have great purpose. Great plans. The living God has a unique plan for you. Now, it might not look exactly the same as Saul's, but God has a unique plan and calling for you. It could be, uh, there, there, there could be a particular ministry that's a part of that for you, and God's been prompting you to serve in that ministry. Maybe there's somebody in particular that God's nudging you, that God has specifically put you in their sphere of influence to help pray for them and encourage them and point them back to Jesus. It could be that you have a, a, a specific passion for a group of people. Maybe you have a heart for the poor, and that's kind of a, a place where God's nudging you and calling you and saying, I want to use you there to point people back to Jesus. It could be that you have a heart for, for homeless people, a heart for single moms, for teenage moms. It could be that, that maybe you have a heart for schools and for teachers and administration. Maybe God wants to use you to encourage and to bring Jesus into the public school in some practical ways and to shine for him there. Maybe it's at your workplace, but God has a unique, I don't know where it is, but God has a unique and specific mission and calling for you. And it's part of, it's part of his worldwide plan of redemption. It's part of, of, of calling all kinds of people, right, back to Jesus, bringing them to life, helping all scores of people who are headed in the wrong direction and don't even know it, and helping them to recognize that there is new life, and there's freedom, and there's forgiveness. There's life because of Jesus, and we get to be a part of it. Is that not cool? Somebody ought to say yeah to that. <laughs> okay, so, so we've got this whole, this whole kind of transformation journey going on. We better hit the third one. I'm running out of time. But the third one is this. I want us to, so people are transformed as God reveals himself to them. And he draws them back home. They're, they're given a specific calling, and, and God sends them out on mission. But uh, the, the compelled piece is one I, want, I just want to talk about for a second because the why matters, <laughs> The why matters. Why do they go out on mission? Why does Paul go out? I mean, again, is this duty? Is this out of drudgery? Is this out of a way of saying, well, if I want God to love me and care about me, then I better pull myself up by my bootstraps and work hard enough so that God can be pleased with me? If I join enough Bible studies, if I give some money to the poor, if I throw some money, in the, uh, then God will be pleased with me. That's not true at all, right? None of that. Instead, the motivation here is not one of duty. It's not one of a works-based kind of system. Are you kidding me? We were running in the wrong direction, and God in his mercy thought you and I were worth dying for. He died so that he could bring us back home to God, to the Father. There's nothing we did to earn it or deserve it. Nothing we could ever do to earn it or deserve it. 
But Paul says this, listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 uh, through 21. I'm going to skip a couple of verses in the middle there just for the sake of time. But it says this. This is Paul's motivation. He says, for Christ's love compels us. It is Christ's love that compels us forward because we're convinced that one died for all. It's Jesus, and therefore we've all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling, bringing together the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation, bringing, helping people come back home to God. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become righteous, the righteousness of God. We might become righteous in that sense. Well, what drives the mission for Paul, what keeps him uh, living out bold faith over the course of his life, what keeps him planting churches, what keeps him building relationships and serving people and loving people and telling them and sharing with them about a savior that loves them, that died to save them. It's this, it's Christ's love. He says, it's G the love of Jesus compels me. He's been so impacted by the love of Christ for him, so immersed in his love, so amazed by Christ's forgiveness and his kindness and his mercy and forgiving him over and over and over when he was running in the wrong direction. He's like, man, I'm so amazed by Christ's love and his goodness in bringing me back home. How could I not share that with others? right? How could I not? If God loves me that much, and he loves every person that you and I lock eyes with enough to die for them, enough, to, uh, if he loves them like that, how could we not help point other people back home and say, man, there's freedom, and there's life. Christ's love compels us if he has loved us that way, if he fills us with his love like that, and he teaches us to love others, how can we not share? There's life. There's freedom. There's resurrection. What have we to fear? It's the process of, of boldness, right? those who have been transformed by Jesus, those who know that they have a calling to live out, those that are saturated with his love will live fearless, bold lives for Christ. I want you to look at one more, uh, one more scripture with me here real quick. Uh, God does this incredible thing in Paul and through him. It's an amazing story to read about. And at the end of his life, he's arrested. Uh, he's chained 24-7 to a guard. He's on trial basically for being a Christian. And he chooses to make an appeal to Caesar, right? He chooses. He could have been like, a, he chooses to go before Caesar. Who's Caesar? What's Caesar's, what is Caesar like today? Huh? Yeah, he's like a king, right? Basically, he's the emperor. He's in charge of the world, basically, at that time. He's the, he's the president of sorts. He chooses to go before Caesar so he can have an opportunity to share the gospel with Caesar, right? To, show, to share about Jesus with the king. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing. Um, and, uh, but he, in, on the journey, he's arrested. He's bound to other guards, that kind of thing. And now, uh, 
He's writing a letter back to the church at Philippi, sort of the first church that started on the European continent, and he's giving them an update and talking about his journey in ways that God is working. Listen to this, Philippians 1, 12, and again through 21. I'm gonna skip a little bit in the middle there. But it says this, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me in being arrested and chained and all this kind of stuff has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has, be, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have uh, become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear, with great boldness. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted, will be honored and reflected in my body, whether by my life or by my death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You kind of get what's happening here, right? I mean, Paul is in jail. He's chained to guards 24-7. And so he takes advantage of that, and he starts building relationships and sharing Jesus with the guards that are chained to him. He's got a captive audience, right? <laughs> They're not going anywhere. So he keeps, he keeps sharing with them, you know, my life has been transformed. I've been given purpose. I've been given a mission. And you know what? Not only has God transformed my life, not only has he, has he poured out his love on me, but he's done it for you. There's an opportunity for you to know Christ as well. And you know what happens? Guards start to believe. And, they, and their lives are transformed. And, and the message about Jesus is spreading and spreading and spreading. It's, it's, it's sort of unstoppable. There's, there's this boldness that seems to permeate the believers. And they're like, man, God's doing a work here. He's transforming us. He's going to change the world. And he does, right? I was thinking about that this weekend, thinking, man, what are you going to do to Paul? How, with that kind of boldness, that kind of fearlessness, how are you going to stop Paul? How are you gonna, what are you going to do, right? Hey, Paul, uh, we want you to stop doing this. Stop sharing the message of Jesus, or we're going to stone you. He'd be like, well, been done before, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, what, what are you going to say? What are you going to do to stop him? Paul, quit starting churches. Quit sharing the good news about Jesus, or we're going to put you in jail. If you could... Could you get me more guards, <laughs> right? Because I'm going to share with them about a God that loves them, that died to save them. And, and God's going to transform their lives. What are you going to do to stop him? Paul, if you don't quit doing this, we're going to kill you. He says, you know what? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My whole life, since that moment where God rescued me and brought me back home, I've lived every moment of my life for the day that I get to go home and be with my Savior forever. There's a God who loves me, who thinks I'm worth dying for, and I long for that day. If you kill me, I'll get what I want. I'll get to go home and be with Jesus forever. It's an amazing story. Those who have been transformed by Christ, those who know that they have a calling that God has given them to make him known to the world, those who are saturated with his love will live boldly for Christ. They will share boldly for Christ. How about you? I mean, I don't know where you're at with God these days. Maybe if you're honest, you've been, maybe, maybe you're a moral person. Maybe you've been, uh, you know, going to church sometimes and trying to do the right things, trying to live the right way. Maybe you're hoping that you're good enough to deserve God's love or whatever, but for whatever reason, you've been running in the wrong direction. And maybe today the living God is speaking to you and saying, man, I came and I died for you 
so that you can come back home, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be free. Maybe more than anything else today, maybe, maybe the, the living God is drawing you and calling to you, come home. Would you just come home? Maybe today you just need to open up your heart and life and in, even just in your heart and in your soul, just turn God and say, I need you, Jesus. Would you come and would you, would you turn my life around? Would you come and bring life and hope? I put my trust in you. I want to follow you. I want to know you. Be my Savior and my God. You know what the Bible says? The moment we trust Christ like that, you know, the truth, the reality is, the truth is you are completely forgiven, completely. You are restored. You are brought back into God's family. At that point, you are given a ticket, so to speak, metaphorically, right? That admit one to eternal life in his kingdom forever. It's all available by you and I putting our trust in Christ. Maybe that's, maybe that's what you need to do today. Just open your heart to him and cry out, God, I you. Jesus, come and wash me. Come and have your way. Maybe God's prompting you this morning and saying, you know what? You're, you've, you've already experienced that transformation, right? God has brought you back into his family. He's, maybe he's nudging you and saying, you know, I have a specific calling for you, and it's time for you to step up and live it out. Maybe there's a specific area, specific people, a specific place. Maybe it's the people at work. Maybe it's some, some people, maybe a, a family that's struggling in your neighborhood. Who, who knows? Maybe it's, uh, you know, those that are in need and there's some poverty kind of issues. Maybe that's where God's nudging you and calling. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's helping them to, um, I was thinking of uh, our, our babies that are here today. Maybe it's, maybe it's serving in children's ministry and helping to raise some of these little ones up to know and serve and follow Jesus all the days of their life. I don't know what it is, but maybe, it's, maybe today God's nudging you and tapping on you and saying, I have a specific call for you. It's time for you to step into it. W will you be afraid at times? Yeah. Is it going to be, is, it gonna, is God going to take you beyond your comfort zone? Absolutely. But this is the God that rose from the dead, right? This is, this is the God that is alive forever. He's big enough and strong enough to accomplish his purposes in you and through you. So maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to step up. Maybe today you just need to be reminded that no matter what's happening in your life, that no matter what's happening in your world, that we have a God that is crazy about you, that thinks you're worth dying for. And he just wants you to know that his love for you never ends. He loves you in a way that is sacrificial, in a way that defies all reason, in a way that is unstoppable. And maybe today you just need to be reminded of that love and even compelled to turn back towards him and to, to make him known, motivated out of a heart that is receiving and enamored with his amazing love for you. I don't know what God's prompting you to do today, but I, I do know this, right? This, this is the journey that God wants all of us on, to transform us as we meet Jesus, to call us to follow him and to make him known, and to be compelled and enamored and soaking in and basking in his great love for us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you. We need you. We are thankful for your goodness and your grace. We're thankful 
for your amazing love for us. Thanks that you uh, meet us wherever we are, God, no matter how far we have run in the wrong direction, that you, you come and you call us back home. You turn us around. Sometimes you even knock us off our horse <laughs> to get our attention so that we can turn back to you and find life and forgiveness and freedom and all that you have for us. God, I pray that we would not miss you today. Just cry out, we need you, Jesus. Would you come and rescue us? Come and bring us home. Father, I thank you that you've given a calling to each of us, and I pray that today, real specifically, you might speak to, to hearts and to lives, and that you might call us out to follow, to serve, to love, to bring your message of hope and life to the world. And as well, Lord, let us just... Uh, be compelled not out of duty or obligation, but may your love just drive our lives. Send us out, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.